This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's Roundup. It looks like next Saturday, not this Saturday, but next Saturday, the 26th, is the start of Retro World Expo in Hartford, Connecticut. I just want to say I am really excited to see as many of you there as possible. I always love hanging out and meeting people, and I'm really excited to do the panel with Tito as well. But just wanted to give one one or two more friendly reminders before the expo, but let's jump in and see what's been going on in the past week. First up, 8 Doe have just released a retro receiver for the PlayStation 1 and 2. This is a Bluetooth-based dongle that's compatible with basically all of their Bluetooth controllers, as well as PS4 and 5 controllers, and a long list of other stuff as well. It looks like it's sold out right away, but the price was certainly right, under 30 bucks. And it's definitely something that I think a lot of people would be interested in, but there's a few things to note. First, I saw a whole bunch of people reporting that after they received theirs, it didn't work properly with the Memcard Pro in the same controller slot, but everything did work if the controller was in a different slot than the Memcard. And a lot of people have also said that this issue didn't happen with other controller adapters. Also, there's no telling what Bluetooth technology is inside. Are they using their own? Or are they using others? But that's less of a concern for me because 8BitDo has a great reputation of making good controllers and adapters and certainly fast for what they are. Um, you know, Bluetooth is never going to be the fastest controller protocol, but it's certainly they've certainly done a good job keeping them as quick as realistically imaginable. Except I do have one complaint about that. The marketing says lag-free, which is just a lie. That's just wrong. That's flat out mismarketing. There is no such thing as a zero latency wireless controller. There's absolutely so low that you feel like there's no latency at all. That's definitely a thing. Uh, but it also depends on what controller you're using. So not putting any lag test results at all annoys me, but one could at least argue that it's impossible to give a true accurate statement because of what controller people are using. And maybe if they're around a whole bunch of other Bluetooth devices, maybe that would affect it. I still think you should just kind of post basic lag test results, but calling it lag free is just a lie. And while I believe it's Chris Tabor still doing there and analogs marketing and love or hate their marketing, you have to admit that it's absolutely brilliant and spectacular and people are talking about it. Maybe they're talking about it because it drives them crazy. Maybe you're talking about it because they like it, but it works. But this is just BS. This is uh, this is I think this is worse than the whole no emulation thing about their FPGA consoles. It's, uh, you know, FPGA is hardware emulation. Saying no software emulation 
isn't even really a dig anymore because there's so much good software emulation out there. But th I think this is worse because this is something that's so very easily, easily measurable. One could argue that the terms of software versus hardware emulation, in fact, people do. It's really annoying. If you ever see that stuff on social media, do yourself a favor and just check out of the conversation and let the trolls go do it themselves because it just it drives me crazy when I see people go after that. But this isn't a gray area. This is a measurable thing. There's no such thing as lag free. So I do wish they'd listen. They didn't respond at all on social media. They almost never do. So it's not a surprise there. But I think that one was missing the mark. And I, I, I know that a couple of people on social media were, were definitely trying to come at me for it, probably just to get attention because that's usually how it goes. But almost everybody else agreed with me because it's not being pedantic it's not talking about well you said you know there instead of they are it's it's a fact it's something you could measure so hopefully 8-bit dough would at least consider listening and trying to do the right thing because that i mean if you end up getting a crappy bluetooth controller and you use this receiver it's probably going to be really laggy whereas if you use like a ps5 controller it is probably going to be so low latency that most people wouldn't notice a difference but not everybody. I guarantee there's a couple of people out there who could detect under a, between half a frame and a frame of latency, pro players and stuff like that, depending on the game, of course. So yeah, I, I, if I were you and you care about stuff like this, the only way companies like this are ever going to listen is if you politely ask them publicly and, and just have this discussion because they all ignore me. I'm a nobody under 100,000 followers on YouTube and always talk about things they don't think matters. They've already all got me muted, but not you. So politely never trolling politely just remind them that's a false statement it's it's incorrect marketing and that should be changed uh, and the community i'm sure would be well would would uh, welcome any lag testing that they do or we could even give them the numbers that we have to start them out just so they could have some actual measurements to post up but if i were them personally it's a playstation focused product i would show it working with the new dual sense you know the playstation 5 one because that's going to be the lowest overall latency, and I would brag about those numbers. Unless it's really laggy and they're trying to hide it, but that doesn't really sound like that company. They've put out great products before that I always talk about. So if anybody wants to accuse me of coming out of 8-bit dough, just do a search on RetroRGB.com for how much I've talked about them. Actions speak louder than words. I like their controllers. I just I think they really messed up putting lag free. That's just false marketing. Next up, James from RetroHQ has just posted a new firmware update for the Atari 7800 game drive. They're not back in stock yet. I'll let you know the moment that they are. But if you already have one, I would definitely uh, pick this up and uh, do the firmware update. It is super easy to do this. There is no you know, creating an account. There's no logging in. There's no locking your serial number to anything. All you do is just fire up the 7800. You press that button combo to bring up the QR code and you scan it with your phone and then you could just email the link from your phone to your PC. It takes less than a minute to get this firmware file, but because James did it this way, you don't have to worry about any of that locking it to your account BS and it's just very easy to update. Then just drop it on, do the update, and you get a bunch of different things, uh, some fixes and stuff that James had listed right here. But the one thing that I personally think stands out the most is per game saving of audio, video, and break settings. So uh, as when I did the uh, initial live stream for this, what I ended up, one of the things I ended up showing was the features that you could turn on for blending, or if you turn off in-game uh, controls for some games that break it, 
You have to remember to go back into the menu and change those again for different games. But being able to set those per game, I personally think is an amazing update. Because now after you play each game once, you could kind of load the game and go, ah, I bet you blending is probably going to be good. So you bring in the in-game menu, you set it. Or worse, if you have a game that you have to disable the in-game menu, you go in and set it before you load it. Now it's just there. You just don't have to worry about it anymore. So you could kind of go in and and play all your games once, set all your favorite settings, and it's all right there, saved right to the SD card. So I thought that was really cool. Um, but, you know, obviously it's a product that I'm a fan of. I did that very deep dive live stream where we went in and tested a whole bunch of different stuff. And as soon as it's back in stock, I will let everybody know. Uh, and if you want to prepare for it, um, all you're going to need if you want the RGB out is some quality Genesis 2 RGB cables. Any of the ones listed on the site worked fine. I tested every one of them on the uh, live stream. So just make sure you have yourself a Genesis 2 cable and a small micro SD card. And as soon as they're back up for sale, pick up one and have yourself a no mod, no cut RGB outputting Atari 7800 with the ability to play 2600 and 7800 ROMs. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Next up, Steve from RetroTech just posted a video about the Dell P1130 CRT VGA monitor. I guess he must have found time between celebrating his 40th birthday, drinking whiskey at the lake to put out this video, but I'm glad he did because this highlighted a very, very cool monitor. While yes, it looks like every other ugly shelled Dell monitor of that era, this one has a Sony tube with the same dot pitch as the GDM C520K and could support resolutions from 480p60 all the way up to 2048 by 1536 at well, 170 hertz, I believe. So that's pretty crazy, uh, or maybe 130 hertz. Either way, that's still crazy because you can have yourself a very high resolution monitor. And if you want to do a lot of the 120 hertz stuff or the 72 or 96 hertz stuff that people have been talking about lately, you could do that with no motion blur on a CRT. So this one's pretty awesome. I love that it's the 21 inch size. This seems like one that I, I would really enjoy having for my collection, but because Steve put the video out, I'll probably never see one again. <laughs> but, but if you're interested in this stuff, I mean, even if you're somebody that thinks it's awesome, but might not ever end up getting one or is totally happy with your current setup, having a window into what some of these other CRT technologies are like is just so awesome. And I, I'm always appreciative of these overview videos. I personally like the shorter ones just because I have a short attention span and got a lot to do. But this was the perfect time or the length of time. Uh, Steve showed a bunch of really cool stuff. And remember that if you find one of these, you could use something like a cheap GBS control or quite a lot of other devices to just use your retro consoles into it.
So depending on which one you want to use, I did that uh, classic consoles on VGA monitor video a couple years ago that's still 100% accurate and up to date. Uh, it, so you could find something like this and use it for modern gaming and use a Tink 2X or a GBS control or whatever else to connect to this thing and have a very accurate look of original consoles. You could basically have a BVM look but, you know, just on a something that should be at least a little bit cheaper. So I'm obviously a huge fan of EGA monitors. There's one right there, one on the floor, one over there. And I'm glad Steve took the time to highlight these. So uh, awesome video and happy birthday, dude. Next up, Stone Age Gamer now has stock of the X-Station optical drive emulator for original PlayStation consoles. This has been out of stock for a while at a bunch of different stores. Stone Age Gamer has it in stock, and they're also offering installation service as well. So you could send in their console, uh, or you could just buy one or, or both or whatever combo. So links to everything you need are right there. And I have a video that kind of highlighted the launch date uh, X-Station, as well as another PlayStation optical drive emulator. And while the video is somewhat outdated, the overall concept of how it works, how it compares to other options, uh, and why you might want this over a mod chip are all still completely relevant. So if you wanted a primer on this stuff and understand why you might want this over most other solutions, then definitely give that video a watch. Last Friday, I did my first official live stream with the RetroTink 4K, even though I'd been using it in quite a few live streams over the past over six months now, I really wanted to show off a couple of features and I wanted to launch a new feature that Mike had just finished basically a few hours before I did the live stream, rotation. So how you access rotation is gonna be a little bit easier than I showed in the stream for final implementation, but I definitely wanted to show it working because that's been a feature that so many people have asked for over the years. And as powerful and as awesome as the RetroTINK 5X is, there's no way that hardware could do something like this. So especially at the speed that this was doing it. So I wanted to demo that. And I also just wanted to show off a couple of other things. Uh, and I wanted to also concentrate on stuff that you can't really do on the Tink 5X. So the first one was 1080i motion adaptive deinterlacing. I used uh, GT4 on PlayStation 2 because while you can put that through the Tink 5X, it's Bob deinterlaced, which depending on your display and your eyes and how you like your settings, maybe it's going to look totally fine or, or maybe it wouldn't. However, this looked great. What didn't look great is fake scan lines and CRT masks over live streams. I showed that just to kind of have a laugh a couple of times, but if you want to see those, check out the My Life in Gaming stream I talked about last time. That was absolutely awesome. But things like CRT Simulate and 1080i mode are absolutely amazing. I really liked that. Uh, I showed off um, a couple of other things like Firebrand X's profiles and what a massive difference that made even without final calibration, even without going in and dialing in the correct brightness and, and phase settings, it, it just, so many awesome things about this. Showed the HDMI input running DC digital, that was very cool. So there was just a whole bunch of really awesome stuff I got to show off in this, and I'm definitely gonna be doing a, a, at least one or two more streams with it, but I think the other people that are working on this are probably gonna do way better videos than me. So I'm gonna try to stick with the stuff that I'm kind of good at or the stuff that I just really enjoy showing and then let people like John Linneman from Digital Foundry, Mark and Corey from My Life in Gaming, and of course, all the awesome stuff that Wobbling Pixels has been doing. You know, I, I wanna 
uh, I kind of want to highlight what they're doing rather than try to recreate a bad version of what they've already done. So you'll see at least one more video from me on it and probably a couple of live streams, and I'll just be using it in my streams from now on. Uh, but it's very exciting to see those features come out. And from the time that this was uh, done until now, I've gotten two more firmware updates from Mike. So I truly think this thing could have gone to market a month ago in its current firmware state. But there's some more updates coming that it might be more of enthusiast focus that the general public might not care as much about as, you know, great deinterlacing and rotation. But I think my fellow nerds are going to go, yeah, when they see some of the other stuff coming. So I don't want to talk about it until it's done because I don't. What if some, there's a bump in the road that prevents it from hitting at launch day? I don't want to do that. But I'll definitely be coming out with more, uh, you know, more videos and highlights just to show what this thing could do. And once again, if you really want to see how good those CRT filters are, please check out the My Life in Gaming live stream. Mark did so much better of a job than I could have. Uh, and hopefully, maybe the next time I stream, I could try it in 4K or maybe try it in 1440p 120 or 1080p 120. I think it'd be a lot of fun, but let me know what y'all think. Let me know what you want to see shown on the next stream. Um, and I guess we could go from there. The only thing I don't want to do is just connect console after console after console. So many other people have done that and could do a better job than me with a wider range of consoles. Um, but I did show analog this time, the only digital input. I was using Mr., but I was using the analog output just to show that this wasn't some kind of HDMI to HDMI upscaling trick or anything like that. I used Mr., but with uh, direct video in the VGA output. So even that um, that link test that I did with the Firebrand X profile was still technically all analog scaled. So you would get a realistic idea of what to expect, but let me know what you want to see for next time. So there's some pretty interesting updates happening with the SIO optical drive emulator and some third party menus and firmware for it. This is all just completely surrounded with tons of drama because it's the SIO, which apparently means it always has to be surrounded by drama. But rather than talk about that kind of thing, I, I wanted to talk for a moment about what this potentially could mean and speculate about it. Now, every word that's about to fall out of my mouth is complete BS. I'm just speculating on stuff that I don't have inside info on, but I do have enough background in the project and how a lot of this stuff works to add some light to it with a bunch of ifs. So if you don't want to hear speculation, skip to the next section. But if you're interested in what all this talk about the SIO firmware is, maybe hang out with me here for a moment. So this, the SIO is a device that originally was supposed to be a plug-and-play optical drive emulator for the original PlayStation, which would have been incredible, but that's impossible. You have to do some kind of mod. But what it does allow is for you to remove it when you want to use the CD-ROM drive and then plug this in when you want to run backups or homebrew from an SD card. So a lot of people still use it for that reason, which makes sense. It's nice to have a multifunctional PlayStation. However, there's some compatibility issues and there's been... I'm trying to do this drama-free, but the creator of the project... Uh, can't seem to do any updates without causing trouble. And there were the device itself was cloned, um, which stinks. I hate to see all kind of cloning or any kind of cloning. That is pretty terrible. But I guess as a result of that, there's been a lot more slowdown of progress. And it's kind of just become a stale product. And I know there's people that own that that are probably going to be very upset that I say that, but it just... 
the the truth is that if your games that you love playing already work on it, then no, it's a complete product. But if the games that you want to play have bugs or don't work at all, then it, it's still kind of a buggy product. It's really up to perception, I guess. So a couple of people were very frustrated at that whole situation, and one developer claims to have written their own alternative menu bringing speed improvements, game ID support for Memcard Pro and PS1 digital users, uh, as well as I think there was even some compatibility differences as well. And I think they were also talking about having its own code loaded on there. And then, of course, there's more drama because, like I said, you can't have a conversation with the SIO without drama. But I think they were, uh, from what I've heard, they had held off on releasing that third-party stuff because of legal threats from Matt, who, uh, who is Sibden Systems, who created the SIO. So here's where we get into the real speculation part of things. If this is custom software written that does not use any of Sony's code and that does not use any of the original SIO code, it's completely and totally written from scratch and loaded onto the SIO. In the US, that is 100% legal. I can't speak for other countries, and I will also say that in the U.S., all that really matters in court is whoever has more money. So if this was like big Sony trying to fight a developer, you're going to lose. It's just, it's it. it doesn't matter if you're right or wrong. They have millions of dollars in legal budget, and you don't. But we're talking about two developers here. So there's no way the SIO made millions and millions and millions of dollars for them to be able to do this. And there's no way that would that would fly in court. You're taking your own software and loading it on another piece of hardware. Everything about that is legal. And one would argue that it's not even morally a gray area because it's improving upon the original software. Now, unfortunately, this would allow for clones to work as well, which that does suck. And I do understand why Matt would be upset over that because that would essentially cut him completely out. Now, uh, buyers who don't even realize they're buying a clone might buy a clone, load up this custom software on it, and have a better overall experience never knowing that they bought hardware from the wrong place. So I do completely sympathize with that side of things, and I do not condone that at all, but I 100% condone and support people just taking the stuff into their own hands and saying, you don't want to support your product, I will, and doing it legally like that. So a lot of ifs there, if there's no stolen code, if it all works like that, if it doesn't require any kind of um, decrypting of what's there in order to, to flash it with new software, then yeah, it should it should be completely and totally legal. And for and as long as you bought a SIO from correct places, I genuinely don't think it's morally wrong either. I think that's totally fine. But unfortunately, we're still kind of stagnant now, and I don't know if it's going to be released. And with all respect, I don't mean any disrespect to the developers who are working on these, but, you know, is it real? Is it, is it a creative AI-made video? You know, until this stuff gets out there, it's all speculation. And I, I mean all of it, even the stuff uh, against Matt. I mean, all of it is just me repeating what's been repeated a bunch of times and speculating on it. So like I warned in the beginning, this could all be BS, but I wanted to talk about it because I just, I wanted to hear people's opinions. Uh, and you know, as always, if I disagree with your opinion, I'm still going to listen and it's still going to sit with me. And if you're a troll about it, no one's going to pay attention to you. And you're probably, or, or, you know, if you're loud enough about it, you're going to get muted. So if you completely disagree with me, try doing it in a way that's at least mildly respectful. So other people will at least give your opinion a chance. But I just, I, as long as all of that stuff 
falls into place, I can't see a reason that there would be any legal action taken against somebody releasing an alternate menu. It sounds just like empty threats, if it's all true, of course. So I wanted to bring this up and talk about it because I do encourage a lot of this stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of developers in the scene wouldn't be super upset if this happened to them in that you have a product that's years old. You're probably looking to go to another product. Somebody comes out with better software and a better menu for yours, and you still get to sell yours. <laughs> it kind of sounds like a win for everybody. So yeah, I know the clone side of things sucks, but it's also a product that's been out for years, which does not condone cloning. It's just something where if something's been out for years and you've made a lot of money on your sales and it eventually gets cloned, it sucks. I don't support it, but it is something that you're going to have to just come to terms with. It's probably going to happen. All successful products are going to be cloned at some point or crappy, low quality versions that are, you know, like those uh, inter quote unquote internal HDMI boards that you see on AliExpress that are basically like composite video to HDMI converters. Yeah, they didn't clone the N64 digital, but there's absolutely crappy things made to look like it. You know, you're never going to stop that. So you might as well just try to move forward with it. But hopefully this will all pan out because I would really like to see, I mean, I'd like to see the SIO do what we all expected it to do when it was released. Not the plug and play thing. That is impossible. But as far as performance and stuff goes. But yeah, let me know your thoughts. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm just going to skim through these and add my thoughts wherever I feel necessary. But if you want all the details, please check out Lou's video. He shows visual examples of all of this stuff and gives a lot more details. But starting us out, Pramod gave a quick update regarding the NARC core, mentioning that uh, it fixed an issue and prevented the ranking numbers from appearing in the high score table. So it's cool to see NARC progressing. Um, over on Twitter. Uh this episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Uh, user TZMWX on Twitter posted a video that shows off a portable mister, which is pretty neat. It takes a DE10 and attaches it to a portable housing that has an LCD screen, speakers, a D-pad, and the Genesis six-button layout. I think that would be cool. I, I personally would love to see the, the Venus, whatever the original prototype for either the Game Gear or the Nomad that was originally leaked a couple years ago. We talked about it on Retro RGB. I'd love to see somebody recreate that and put a mister in it. I think that would just be absolutely hilarious and awesome. Next up, Hotego released a beta for the Simpsons core for anybody who supports on Patreon. I showed that in the RetroTink 4K demo that I did. It was a lot of fun. It was so cool to see that loading and working and, and hear the sound on it. So it, that's pretty exciting. 
Next up, RetroFrog, uh, Todd from RetroFrog released the 3D print files for their Mr. FPGA case that also includes a slot for a hard drive. So if you want to print your own Mr. case uh, and add a hard drive to it, that's definitely something to at least consider. Next, Robert posted a video of Mario Kart 64 running on the N64 core. Now, it's super glitchy and everything. It's not really playable, but holy crap. There is a very short period of time, relatively speaking, when you think of Robert starting a core from scratch and getting to a point where you could load a game and see it run. So this is cool. We're, we're getting N64 on the Mr. at some point. This is pretty exciting. Um, next up, Jimmy Stones has been notified by Gaming Alexandria that the full schematics for Taito's Western Gun Arcade game have appeared. He's been hoping to get his hands on the documentation, and it looks like that will be the next FPGA project. That's very cool. Also, Wizzo officially released the NFC script, which was also possible thanks to Gareth Jones. So shout out to Gareth on Twitter. And with this, you could take an NFC tag write the path of the game you want to play on Mr. and use it to automatically run a game. And as I absolutely gushed over this last week or the week before, I love stuff like this. You absolutely do not need it to load your games on Mr., but I think there's going to be a lot of fun stuff. Uh, you know, you could put NFC tags inside your box. So if you have a boxed collection, you could pull that off your shelf. You could wave it in front of your Mr. and start your game with it. I think that's so cool. So thank you. To, uh, thanks both of you for working on that. And also, you could now automatically download the Atari System 1 Arcade Core by just enabling the Ypsilon's unofficial distribution in Update All. And the Atari System 1 runs games like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Road Blasters, and more. So, as always, thanks so much to Lou for doing these. There's no possible way I could keep up with all of this stuff, and it's so nice to just have all of this compiled into one really easy-to-watch video or post if you prefer to read and have all of this info here so don't forget to subscribe to lou thanks very much and uh, a lot of cool stuff going on in the mystery scene right i just posted an absolutely awesome follow-up interview with the core team of the doomsday duplicator project so simon had done the actual hardware the original hardware that allows you to tap into laser disc players and now vhs players in order to get the raw signal from those uh, those mediums not processed signal and then you were able to store that as a file on your pc and then chad was there who did the ld decode software that takes that and makes it into a video file and that's been progressing over the years so it was great to hear from him uh, and then we also got to talk to oivind who i am 100 percent positive I, i'm destroying that pronunciation i'm so sorry to anybody and in, in norway finland and sweden i think your names are some of the hardest for me personally to pronounce i try real hard but i sound like an idiot. No offense at all meant towards you. But anyway, um, uh, Oyvind's been kind of spearheading the VHS side of things. And also I spoke to somebody who uh, there's a pinned comment who also works on the VHS side of things wiki that provided a ton more information as well. So you might want to skim that as you're uh, watching or listening to the interview too. But this was great. This was talking about all the, uh, we first started with, you know, 15 ish minute Bring everybody up to speed if you forgot about the project or had never heard it before. By the way, if you want to listen to the original interview that goes back to the history of it and a lot of cool stuff regarding this project, um, just search any podcast app for RetroRGB Doomsday, spelled D-O-M-E-S, Doomsday basically. And both of these interviews will pop up, but we did kind of like a bring you up to speed on everything. And then we talked about a whole bunch of different stuff. And I would love to follow up with doing 
uh, an interview or a live stream or something with uh, actually walking through the process of doing this, but also the software side of things. Uh, so it's very, for me personally, it's so easy to visualize the hardware side, but when you get that raw file on your computer, what do you do? So hopefully, um, hopefully it's not too complicated. I'd love to see a GUI made for it that makes things a little simple, simpler. I do, I have a very strong opinion about command line stuff. And please remember that I am an old man. I was born in 81. All I knew how to use for the first eight years of my life well, at least was command line only there was no windows on a tandy 1000 at all we, we just had uh, everything ran through dos i i did it for years i lived in a command prompt for a giant part of my life and i just feel like that all of our all of us nerds especially who have done that have earned the right to just use your mouse and click in a window. So hopefully people will be able to kind of jump in. Uh, maybe Simon, who did the BravoCon software, uh, could even jump in to help and get a GUI-based thing in order to get this done. But I will be following up. I'm super excited for this. Uh, and this, while there are other methods of backing up your VHS tapes and laser discs to digital that are completely fine and will do a very good job, there is nothing that will ever be better than this because this takes the raw signal. And even as Chad software progresses over the years, as long as you save onto that raw or hold on to that raw archival copy, you could reprocess that at any time and get whatever updates chat out to the software, those will be implemented in the conversion to video. So, you know, is this something that you want to back up your VHS tapes that are also available as DVD, Blu-ray? Definitely not. But, you know, do you have home videos that are super important to you that are memories that you always want to have and you don't want to have like mine, unfortunately, you don't want to find out that when you digitize them, you used a much lower quality card and uh, codec so that, you know, what do I do? Do you keep rescanning them every time there's a new method or do you just do it right the first time so uh, massive fan of the project i'm looking forward to uh, to do trying it myself and to getting a vhs player to try that and as soon as i do i'll also keep following up on that vhs capture stream and 480i capture stream like i have been and lastly, Tito from Macho Nacho Productions just posted a video showcasing the RetroGem installed in a PS2. So the RetroGem is PixelFX's new internal digital-to-digital -digital HDMI mod that could work in many different consoles, but this is also the first time they're supporting the PlayStation 2, so that was a really big deal at launch day. And as usual, it was an awesome Macho Nacho video, really entertaining to watch, uh, but it also showed off a lot about the RetroGem that... Uh, hadn't really been put into perspective before. And I think for me personally, the thing that stood out the most was all of the small attention to detail about the board and the mounting and the kits that you get with it. Because while Pixel FX and Dan and Christoph before had always done stuff like this with their creative 3D printed mounts to prevent, uh, to allow for no cut mods, so to prevent excess cutting when you don't need to, their flex cables, that was always part of their kits. But they've definitely stepped it up even higher this time because even little things like the mounting screw on the PlayStation 2 Slim that you could use. If you have one model, you could utilize the screw that's already there. If not, you would have to drill it out. But there's just tons of little attention to detail on that. And it also showed off the one of the versions of the HDMI extender and the flex cables. So this is really a great visualization of why it's a $120 product and not a $99 product. I didn't really understand that fully when their marketing first came out because it flashed a $99 product and you go to their site and it's $120 or $125. And this makes it very clear. You're getting a lot of very well thought out 
creative stuff with it that helps you install it into these. Plus a lot of the stuff that you might expect, like uh, jumping jumpers to set which console you're going into and stuff like that. So this was a really great introduction to what to expect with the hardware, as well as, uh, you know, kind of walking through how it works. It's mostly feels like a, this uh, N64 digital, a Pixel FX product. So if you liked their menus and their options, it's Pretty much the same now with a couple of differences. There were a few things that I wanted to mention, though. First, uh, some people seemed offended that Tito used a RetroTINK 2X to compare it to the gem, as if there was some kind of conspiracy to exclude the RetroTINK 5X. And that was funny and also very annoying, because you can't expect every reviewer to have every piece of scaling equipment, especially a channel that focuses on installation and overview, not deep-dive pixel-by-pixel analysis of stuff like that. So uh, I, I didn't interpret it as anything other than Tito must not have picked up a RetroTINK 5X, which that was the truth. There was no conspiracy. Uh, I do think part of this stems from the still hilarious misconception that once you hit 100,000 followers on YouTube, you're a millionaire. That uh, that does crack me up. Um, that is not true. One of these days, maybe I'll show my YouTube revenue so we could have a big old belly laugh as to why that's not true. Uh, but I didn't think anything um, I just thought that was a good comparison. And in fact, what stood out to me wasn't that it was the RetroTINK 2X versus the gem. It was the composite video example. So the PlayStation 2 was designed in the CRT era. And the fact that it was 480i predominantly for most games is really extra proof of that because the PlayStation 2 in composite video on a CRT looks really nice. The graphics blend well. It looks exactly as the original artist would have intended. And it's one of the many examples of how composite on a CRT could subjectively be better than any other method. But when you start to take those graphics and put them digital on a screen, you get to see a lot of artifacts and a lot of stuff that you would have never have noticed when it was used on some on the display it was originally intended. So part of the things that I like to see is different filters and stuff to make it feel more like the original, even if the original didn't look like that. And I think the best example is the that same example where there was the very sharp character in HDMI and then the uh, composite video character on the right. The character in composite video had hair that kind of resembled hair, whereas on the pure digital version, it looked like a bunch of triangles, which if this was 2D graphics games, I would be applauding how sharp it is because it's my very strong opinion that that's how 2D graphics games should be scaled. But with a few exceptions, I truly think that 3D graphics games scale much better with some kind of smoothing. And it does look like the Retro Gem has smoothing built in, but Tito's video was absolutely focusing on installation and overview, not a deep dive into features. So I would love to see how that looks. Maybe if he has time, Tito could just do another capture of that and throw up a comparison on social media, maybe with a link to like a Dropbox or something because social media compression is way worse than YouTube compression, believe it or not. But I, I, I definitely think that looking into those features is something that you might want to consider and might be one of the selling points of the product. If the smoothing filter is already mature and works great, that alone might be a reason to upgrade to this product. And it's definitely something I'd like to see in action. Without seeing it, it's all speculation anyway. So it's definitely something I just wanted to mention. I think there's a lot more to the retro gem that hasn't really been brought out yet. The only other thing that, that was kind of funny was that 1080i games don't work at all, but there's just a handful of them. 
And normally this would be the part of the podcast where I'd be like, but don't, you know, don't be one of those people that obsesses over the four games that don't matter. Don't worry. But it's kind of funny because this is a complete overlap. The PS2 enthusiasts that would absolutely love to play full digital versions of the 1080i games are the same exact crowd that would be willing to buy a $200 internal HDMI mod, pay somebody a hundred-ish bucks to install it. You know, it's the same people. So that was kind of one of those like, ah, moments. And the team did mention that they were going to try to get a firmware update out that would allow to pass through 1080i, but not do anything else with it. So you know, this is just one of those things where uh, you just have to accept that it, it is what it is. And maybe this is an excuse to pick up a modern scaler with an HDMI input and let it deal with the 1080i scaling. And, you know, I'll admit, I, I could very well have been wrong. My initial impression of the gem was, you know, I tried to be pretty diplomatic about it in the podcast, but I think as hard as I tried, it was very obvious that uh, I do not like software paywalls and I'm not a fan at all. But then in the very next podcast, I realized that I might be wrong because that whole import tax thing would be a very good reason to do that. And you could 100% legally do this, by the way. You're selling your working product for a lot less money so people don't have to pay as much in import tax and then you upgrade it. I mean, the offset of that alone is worth doing, I think. You know, it'd have to be presented correctly, but yeah, I think that's a big deal. And what about this? What if you're buying this mod because you want to play those handful of 1080i games in full digital? Then just get the cheap version and you know wait till the firmware updates uh, come out so that's passed through. Hopefully that'll be on all editions and not just the paid upgrade. But if that's the case, then you save money on that and then you just buy a modern scaler that could scale HDMI and do that. And uh, that's actually one of the things that I showed in the Tink 4K live stream was with component video out, of course, not HDMI out, but it did a really interesting job with those 1080i games like I talked about before. So this is definitely something, you know, to consider when you're purchasing stuff like this. Um, and I guess it would be the same with the morph as well, although Dan did not end up posting that footage. So I don't really want to speculate on the morph because I, I would just be making stuff up without seeing it or even seeing one powered on. I can't really comment on any of that I, I will comment that getting quality 4k 60 captures is really really hard uh, anybody that's been following the channel for a while knows how that deep dive that i went on for about six months plus before i figured out what to do and now that i even figured it out it doesn't mean it's easy it's still really hard it just at least i have the workflow so i completely understand that but um yeah i mean this is this is now going to be my go-to video for anybody that wants information on the retro gem very clearly laid out exactly what this is why the prices are the way they are the correct pricing and how to install it so i thought this was you know I, in my mind i'm going to just be passing this off as the retro gem launch video to give everybody the info they need about it well that's it for this week as always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and of course, an especially thank you to everybody who supports in any way possible, because it's really you who's keeping this stuff going. I couldn't do any of this without you, and I appreciate it so much. So thank you all, and I'll see you next week.